Welcome to episode 8 of the Colorful Kid Podcast. Today we have me, Raul, we have Flo, special, and we have special guest, Rafa from MexicanFoot.com. Guys, how's it going? I'm good. I'm great. Absolute pleasure to be here. Excited to share my thoughts with you guys uh, about tomorrow's game and Tuesday's game as well. So we're going to get, this post, it's going to be mostly all Mexico, but real quick, for you Chivas fans, I just want to get a little Chivas section in here because they're out of, they're not making the, they're not making the Liguilla, Flo. What's going on in your team? Uh, I mean, we're doing all right. We beat America, you know, so. Come on, man. That's all you got. That's all you guys got this year. You can beat my team. That's it. No, I mean, I think we're gonna, we're looking good for next year. I think, um, I think the coaching uh, change, the manager change, was good. Uh, we looked decent after that. Um, you know, we, we won a little bit of some hardware there, but I think next year, our next season, uh, we're set up pretty nicely. I think we're gonna have a nice, uh, a nice run. Do you honestly think, at the come June or May 2016, Almeida's still gonna be the coach? Um. <laughs> Uh, knowing the history, you'd want to <laughs> say no, but oh, I, I think he's doing all right. I, I, I hope, I hope so. Rafa, do you think he's gonna be there, May? Uh, honestly, I, th- I have to be a bit more critical of Chivas. I think they they are where they should be. Uh, I know it's tough, independently of them switching managers midway through the season. Uh, if you take a look at where Chivas actually stumbled throughout the campaign, they just couldn't beat the teams located in the top ten of the table. Uh, if you don't beat the best, then you don't deserve to have a chance to be the best. That's my my take on it. As for if he's going to be there in the future, uh, it's tough. It's tough to know because uh, I think back of what Ricardo Lavolpe said about uh, the Mexican League, uh, what is different between the Mexican League and the Argentine League. Uh, I think Matias Almeida comes from a culture where uh, you can actually go ahead. There's no room for errors. You can't lose games. Uh, you know, in Argentina, it's whoever gets the most points wins, uh, and it's tough because in Mexico you can't implement that same style. Uh, teams all, all can actually take that advantage and draw points. They can play for draws uh, because they have that advantage. They can draw points. They can, uh, you know, earn a draw here and there, and they'll still be well off in the table. Uh, and it's hard because it's just uh, it's a change of cultures when it comes to Matias Almeida, uh, which is why I think it. I don't know if I see him there. Uh, he'll have to change his, his mentality. It, it's just a matter of him getting together with Jorge Vergara and analyzing where they went wrong, who they bring in. Uh, I think another problem is, uh, you know, they just signed Omar Bravo uh, today to a two-year extension. Uh, and, um, you know, at some point, Omar Bravo's going to stop scoring goals. He's going to stop. Uh, he's going to just drop in form. And who's going to take over after that? Uh, you I mean, know, he's still he's the top scoring Mexican in the Liga, right? Yeah, uh, and you know it's tough because he's not getting any younger. Uh, and then you have guys like uh, Marco Fabiana. You know, is he going to stay here for next season? Uh, I heard a rumor that you know maybe he was headed towards towards Europe after uh, the at the conclusion of this season. Uh, you and, just never uh, know what his contract runs out to the summer. Oh, is it? I think so. Well, yeah. Well, well, there was that rumor that was, uh, you know, that he was he might be heading to Espanol uh, somewhere in December or something. I'm not sure what would happen with that, but you know, uh, knowing Marco Fabian and you know how inconsistent he can be, it, it's tough. You know, I, I don't know. There's a lot of things uh, 
you know, against Matias Almeida. Uh, and in my opinion, I, I don't see him there. <laughs> well, I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to figure out, I mean, I'm a Club America fan, but I, as a Mexico fan, country over club, Chivas produces players. They have one of the better youth academy, youth systems in the country. So I, I would like them to do well, and it just bothers me that every single time they bring a new coach, they get that new coach, that new coach smell, those that bump. You know, they win a couple games, optimism goes up, and then they just don't, they don't keep that momentum. And uh, you know, this last off season, I was, I thought they were going to do well. I thought they were going to make the Liguilla, but did they? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they only brought in two players. This. Somewhere in like lost eight or nine. Yeah, they got rid of half the team. It seemed like they only brought in like one or two players. So, if your team was barely good enough to not get relegated, and then you keep the same guys, bring in maybe one guy. Did like Rafa was saying, I wouldn't after after all was said and done, and be, right before the season started, I didn't th- think that, I was not as high on them as I was during the summer because they didn't do anything in the transfer window, and I know. That Regara gets screwed because they have the all Mexican policy. So teams are teams know if they want someone, they're gonna have to overpay. So I, I don't know what they need to do to get better other than make a plan and stick with it. I, I just don't know what else they can do other than Regara come in and say, "Hey, here's your budget. I'm gonna walk away now. Do what you need to do." But because he's gonna keep meddling in there, and that's just not gonna that's just gonna stop the team from getting any better than this. I mean, they're still relegation threatened are they're like they're in the zone aren't they in the bottom three yeah well you know for me i think it's you know what you just said it's just a reality of uh running chivas and being manager of chivas knowing that you know you just can't buy uh non-mexican players and even when you do uh want to go ahead and buy mexican players from other clubs you know the price just goes ridiculously up uh i think it's just a reality of things uh but you know Let's give Chivas credit too. Like you said, they do produce some some really talented young players. There's Raul Lopez, who just uh, was called up uh, for these these next two games for Mexico. Uh, there's Carlos Salcedo, and um, you know there, one player to to watch for is the Saldivar kid. I think they have a nice project going on with him. Uh, and you know, I guess if you're Matias Almeida, you're gonna have to just settle for these young kids and give them a chance. Uh, and that's one thing if you're a Chivas fan you can look forward to next season uh, see how these young kids progress I just, I just, I just don't know with Chivas I, I mean I'm not a fan but anytime they do anytime they get to make some moves and I think they got it together like I think they're going to turn the corner next thing I know they got all, they have they're taking meetings with Almeida in a hotel. Chepel's still coaching the team Chepel's brother who's supposed to be his boss doesn't even know for, I think I think I heard that he first heard about Almeida from a reporter. Like, who does that? Flo, you think they're gonna get any make any moves this this uh, summer? Any moves? Are they gonna stand pat and like, hey, hope these kids develop? Yeah, I mean, like like you guys mentioned, you know, with the with the policy, it's it's hard sometimes to make moves. Um, that's why I think they and, and you know, no one no one sees them going away from that policy, right? Like, no. I don't see them moving away from that. Absolutely not, no. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that's why they've put so much effort into, you know, home, home growing their own players, um, because they know it's hard to go out there 
and buy. You know, the Mexican players, everybody knows the policy. Everybody knows that they're going to have to overpay. Um, so I don't really see them making too many, too many big moves. I do. I might see them subtract some people this summer. Uh, have you heard anything, Rafa and uh, Salcedo, going to Bundesliga clubs? Oh yeah, yeah. there, there was that that rumor that, oh, or not rumor. It's it's very concrete that you know there was scouts present at the Stadio Omni Live for, uh, from actually Benfica and other teams in. In Europe, and it's just not um, well. I mean, f- for the good of Mexican soccer, it, it's important that guys like Carlos Salcedo, uh, you know, get scouted and get seen by uh, by these clubs in Europe. Uh, but in terms of other exits, I'm hearing that Carlos Fierro might might be on his way out as well. Uh, but that's one player that's been rumored to be on his way out for a while now. Uh, but you know, if Carlos Fierro does does eventually leave, uh, you know. It is important that that somebody takes his place, and, and you know, again, back to this, I, I don't know who Chivas bring in. I, I really don't know. Flo, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, there's been tons of rumors with Sarcelo. Um, I think there's been multiple Bundesliga teams linked to him, and also uh, Benfica. I think Bayer was one of the teams that was uh, attached, had their name attached to him. Um, and then you know, there's always seems to be rumors of Fabian for the past seems like four plus years <laughs> that he's going somewhere. Yeah. Um, but you know, you just never know. Um, I think Salcedo, he's young. You know, if he goes, I mean I wouldn't mind it. Obviously a Chivas fan, we'd miss him, but um like he said, for for the national team's sake, you know, it's important for him, you know, if he's earned it, if he's that good to go out there and you know, and, and grow as a player. One thing I do like about the Salcedo situation is and I I was saying I was talking about it when he came to Chivas. I figured when he left uh, Real Salt Lake and MLS to come to Chivas, I figured he signed with Chivas with a certain number, like a release clause. And I think Tom Marshall was talking about that the number is reasonable. So I'm happy that there is actually is a number. And say a team comes in and says, "Hey, we'll pay this much for him." Vergara has to accept it because I think we all agree in the past. Ever since he sold Chicharito for seven million dollars, nine million dollars. Ever since then, I think he saw what happened to Chicharito, and ever since then, he doesn't really want to sell any youngsters. And it's kind of frustrating for, like, Mexico fans, because they want to see, like you guys are both saying, we want to see our best players go to Europe. We want to see them challenge themselves and try to improve as a player, because I think Fierro was one of the guys everyone was hoping he would go to Europe, do some things, and I think he's kind of stalled at Chivas. He's not gotten any better. He hasn't gotten any... He's just, he's just there. That's the way I feel about the way I felt about Fabian for like the past three seasons, it seems like I see it just feels like he's so inconsistent. But I also feel like he just needs a change of scenery, uh, a new challenge to bring the best out of him. Um, how did he do at uh, Cruz Azul? I thought he did pretty well. I thought they were set to buy him, actually. Yeah, I thought he did pretty well there too. Yeah, he he actually did pretty well for for Cruz Azul, but um, you know, even after. You know, he had that really good season with Cruz Azul. There were still rumors that he might go to Europe. Was that uh, the Was that the Qatar rumor? Was that them? No, it might have been. Then. I think it was before then. Because I think I think the rumor at the time was Cruz Azul had like a seven million dollar buy option on him from the loan with Chivas, and I think someone was going to come in and offer, supposed to offer her like eight or nine million. So I think we all thought Cruz Azul was going to, you know, buy him outright and then sell him in the same window but 
for whatever. I think maybe the offer didn't come, and Cruz Azul didn't want to pay up to get him. Yeah, but you know, you brought up a really good point about the whole uh, Vergara willing to go ahead and sell Salcedo. Uh, the issue here is because uh, Salcedo actually comes from Tigres' uh, youth system. Uh, you know, Vergara's fine with uh, selling him and making a profit. Uh, it was actually very similar to to Dam when he left uh, Pachuca. You know, Pachuca was fine with letting him go to to Tigres or whoever might may come and pay the the price for him because you know Pachuca wasn't the one uh, involved uh, paying for for Dam's development. Uh, so that's one good point to bring up. Uh, and, you know, and you brought it up with Marco Fabiana as well. Uh, if he would have stayed behind at Cruz Azul and he would have kept playing at that level, uh, you know, Cruz Azul would have been w- very willing to go ahead and sell him to a European team. Uh, unfortunately, or you know, maybe not unfortunately, but uh, Marco Fabiana went back to Chivas and, and you know he's he's there and you know at some point uh, he's going to have to step up or you know be left behind. Um, funny enough, the official um, Real Salt Lake Twitter account got into uh, my mentions a couple weeks ago when we were talking about Salcedo, and they did confirm that they do own a decent por- They didn't say what, they, but they said they do own a portion of Salcedo's rights going forward. So that's maybe something else that would factor into this. But yeah, Chivas don't own his rights 100%. So. And one more point real quick on Fierro, Rafa. I think, um, what went wrong with him? I was, he was just, in 2011, he was like, I thought he was the guy that was going to break out from that club, from that uh, from that age group. Well, I think it was just, uh, just like a lot of these young kids, whenever they come up, you know, he did really good at that U-17 World Cup. What happens is, you know, it's just so rapid, Um you know, I remember he, he started earning minutes right away with the first team uh, right after that performance at the U-17 World Cup. Uh, and it's tough uh, because, uh, you know, when when you're at that big stage, you know, you have to eventually adapt to all, all these things that, you know, these current first team players have to adapt to, uh, which is the change of managers, which we all know uh, Chivas go through, you know, every few months. Uh, but uh, I think last I saw, I think the average Chivas manager had averages seven months at the club. But you know, when you're a young kid and you know, the boss calls you up and tells you, you know, what, you're going to go ahead and play striker today, and then you know, a couple of months later, some new guy comes in and he's like, oh well, you're playing right winger now, and then now you're playing right back. I you saw know, that, him, I saw him at that, right back. I cannot believe that. You know that that really you know changes things for for you as a player. Uh, especially when you're a young player, uh, a guy just moves moves you around every single few months. It, it's tough. You can't find that that certain position where you can flourish uh, and play your game. Uh, I think I maybe he always saw himself as a striker, and he's you know all of a sudden there's these new managers coming in uh, and moving him out wide. Uh, you know, I'm sure you know that's had some sort of effect on him. Uh, but I don't know. To be completely honest with you, if I, if I was rating Carlos Fierro ever since you know he was a young kid, uh, I never thought that you know he was going to be another Chicharito or something like oh, that no, no. to start with. Uh, but you know it, it's tough; it's just part of being a professional. And I think if he does leave Chivas, you know it, it's for the best of him. Uh, he'll probably go to a team where you know at the time he, he's going to feel more valued, maybe a, a you know. He'll find a guy who who actually wants him, 
uh, and plays him in a position where he feels comfortable. Flo, do you think with uh, Fierro, it was more of a they threw him to a, they threw him in there early and it was sink or swim, but instead of sinking or swimming, he's just literally just just treading water. He's just doing enough to stay on the field, and Chivas just keep putting him out there because they don't really have anyone else to put out there. Yeah, I mean, you would say probably maybe even more of sink than than anything, but. Yeah, if he, I think if he changed teams, if, if he had a little bit of change of scenery, um, it would be good for him. But I don't know if I see it happening because just because Chivas doesn't have anyone else to throw out there. I know there was the the whole thing that came out that he was set to move at the beginning of this year. Yeah, but I really don't don't see it happening. Oh, and that was a disaster too, wasn't it? Who who was it? Who wanted the wanted? Who said he was going to move Fierro at the draft? And then when um, De La Torre heard about it he immediately like said no that's not gonna happen wasn't it like the marketing manager of herbalife yeah well or omni life omni life yeah well he's supposedly yeah he's one of the guys in, main guys in charge uh i'm not sure exactly what what role he plays it might be uh the president of the team i think or something like that uh but yeah according to to what the author said was uh, Fierro was all wrapped up with Querétaro and he came in and he said, no, what are you doing? We need more strikers. <laughs> yeah, that's just... I don't know. I just, it's just too much. <laughs> yeah. It's just too much with that team. And I want him to do well. I mean, not that well, but, you know, just it's ridiculous. I, I don't know what to do with them. But I don't know if you guys are uh, football manager plant fans, but first thing I always do when I'm a football manager, no matter what team I am, I always... But try to buy Fierro from Vergara, no matter what team I am. <laughs> and Vergara does not let him go cheap. So, but even even in this year's uh, football manager, they have him as like one of the highest rated young Mexican players still. So someone out there still thinks he has something left in the tank. But it's crazy because he's he's 21 years old and he has over 120 first team appearances now. I was gonna say, isn't he still only like 21, 20? He's 21, and think about it this way. He has over 125 first-team appearances. Um, Jonathan Esfericueta has less than 100 Liga MX minutes with the first team. Okay. And, you know, I thought Esfericueta was, was going to be the guy yeah. from that U-17 World Cup. I thought he was uh, by far ages ahead of everybody else in, in that team, and, you know, it just hasn't worked out for him. But do you think it hasn't worked out for him because of where he plays? Because when every time I see him with the national team, you know, with the U22s, whether whatever tournament they're playing, he seems to have a good showing, and it seems like he's full of ideas. He's going forward. He's playing from that you know central position. But do you think it's more of a has to do with where he has and who his coach is? Well, with Spadequet, I think it's it's a very peculiar case because uh, for me, when I first saw him play, I thought he was. He was just different. He, he's a very different player. He's the kind of player you don't see a lot in Mexico. I think the only player that comes close to to Espericueta right now that we have it uh, currently uh, at this big stage is Eric Gutierrez, which still isn't at that big stage yet. But I'm saying, you know, more mainstream guy. Yeah. Uh, Eric Gutierrez is the closest, you know, we have to somebody like Espericueta, somebody who who has the ability to to sit deep and you know just control the game from there. Uh, even then, I think Eric Gutierrez is turning into a, a lot more different uh, player than that, a, a player that mo- kind of 
it's suited more towards going up front rather than sitting back like Espericueta did during that World Cup and still does when he plays for youth teams. He's just a player who, again, it does affect him that Ricardo Ferretti just, his youth policy is terrible because he just doesn't play youngsters. At all. But also, but also yes, at all. Uh, but also, I'm just it's just, happy he played the gatito in that confetti cup. Yeah, no. <laughs> but it's also, I think, a clash of styles. I, again, I think uh, Espericueta is just a player you don't see much in Mexico. And teams, uh, you know, they're, you're not going to find a coach that, you know, builds a team around uh, Espericueta because, you know, that's just not how it works in Mexico. But he's just that good. He, or he was that good. I mean, he's still good, I guess. <laughs> if, <laughs> if he's given a chance, maybe, you know, he'll portray how good he is. But, uh, you know, it's just really, really difficult for a guy like Espericueta. Uh, you know, that's why you, you give, you know, you have to give credit to guys, to teams like Pachuca who give youngsters a chance. Not only do they give them a chance, but uh, they give them the chance to, to lead a team. You know, you don't see many teams uh, give guys like Eric Gutierrez and Urbino Sano the chance to uh, to run a team behind behind their skills, uh, like like Pachuca does. Uh, there was no way Ricardo Ferretti was going to be like, okay, guys, we're going to build a team around Jonathan Espericueta. Uh, and Pachuca does that. You know, they went up to Eric Gutierrez and Urbino Sano and said, we're going to make a team out of these two guys. And, and you know, they they're doing quite well. I mean. Uh, you know, it's it's a process. They're not going to win titles in a year, uh, but you know, so far so good. And it's been, I mean, if we go into Pachuca season, it's been uh, a, a very weird season where they've gone stretches of games where they lost a lot of games and they've won a lot of games. Uh, but you know, they're still in it, and they might make the the league again in two weeks. You never know. Uh, but you have to give them credit for that. I love watching Pachuca play. So. Entertaining. So entertaining. Yeah, definitely. Alright, well that's enough Chivas talk. That's all I can take. But um <laughs> <laughs> I know Flo the wishes we can turn this into the Chivas podcast. The Delos Lopez. The Delos Lopez podcast. Oh. Alright. Well let's get back to the national team. Um last podcast we recorded right before Osorio released his roster, which was early because he said he was going to do it Monday, came out on a Friday or a Thursday. But, um, Flo, do you see any snubs? Um, <clears throat> well, the one that most people are talking about is obviously uh, Giovanni Dos Santos not making the team. That's the big one. Um, other than that, let me see here. I, mean, I think it's just the base, the base players from the Confed Cup. Yeah, there's there wasn't many, there wasn't really many surprises at all. Rafa, are you surprised at any of these players? Surprised in terms of players he chose? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Or, or, or do you think that he forgot someone? Yeah. I don't think he he forgot anybody. Yeah, I, I didn't really that. I didn't really expect too many surprises. Like like you guys said, it was just more of uh, using uh, the base that Ricardo Ferretti used. Uh, these past two games, uh, I wasn't surprised with Giovanni Dos Santos. Uh, I don't think he personally. I don't think he deserves it. Uh, a call up at this moment. Uh, I do agree with Osorio when he says that there's better players ahead of him. Uh, you know, I think the only surprise I see might be uh, Castro from Pumas, which I know that even Luis Fuentes, but Luis Fuentes kind of makes sense because of the lack of 
left backs in the national team pool. But with Castro, it's really odd for me because, uh, you know, I would have given that to maybe a younger player. uh, But I do understand why Osorio go ahead and and gave Castro the chance because there's also a a lack of right-footed defensive-minded midfielders in the Mexico national team pool. Uh, If you go back even to the U22 team, they don't have a a defensive-minded midfielder that's right-footed. Uh, you have guys like Eric Gutierrez who are left-footed and can play in that part of the field, uh, but there's not a guy who who's right-footed. I know Van Rankin is somebody who who he plays there, who Potro plays there in, in the U22 team, uh, but Van Rankin plays as as a right back with Pumas, uh, and then there there was also that Chivas youngster Victor Guzman who he played there for for a game I think. Uh, so these are things that that Juan Carlos Osorio needs to examine going into the future. Uh, now when I do when when it comes to players, I, I hope he brings up for, for these upcoming World Cup qualifiers uh, in 2016. I do hope that guys like Eric Gutierrez get a chance and Irving Lozano, which is one uh, I think a lot of people wanted to see. Yeah, I think that's the guy Flo was uh, hoping for in the last episode. He just kept saying, yeah. Lozano, Lozano, Lozano. Yeah, that's the guy I forgot about. Yeah, Chucky. I was, I was uh, a little sad that he didn't make the team. But when I look at the squad, you know, there's, there really wasn't many surprises. I guess one little mini surprise for me was that Ochoa was added. I'm 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 assuming Ochoa's added. He's gonna start one of these games. He has to. I mean, what, what did he say last time like, when he, we used to have Chepo? He's like, I'm not gonna fly over the Atlantic if you're not gonna play me. <laughs> when he was when he was with oh, Fran, yeah. when he was with uh, uh, Jasio, or Hasio, he was just like, no, if you're not gonna start me, don't play. Me. Don't make me fly. <laughs> yeah, that was like about three, four years ago, three years yeah, ago, three years ago, two years, yeah. Yeah, well, with Ochoa, it, it's tough. I personally would have not called him either. It's just, uh, it's one thing, you know, being on the bench for a year and, you know, competing. But, you know, if he just couldn't get that move out of Malaga, I don't see how you bring him in when he just hasn't played. Uh, it, You know, there's guys like Talavera. There's guys like Moises Munoz. Uh, even, you know, when we talk about younger goalkeepers like Antonio Rodriguez, uh, these guys are are playing top-level soccer, you know, under the goalpost. And, you know, I understand that Guillermo Choa has this hierarchy. Uh, you know, he's a guy who, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, look up to a guy who who was just wonderful during during this past World Cup. Uh, but just that lack of playing time, it just doesn't work out for me. I, I don't know uh, why you'd bring him in when he just doesn't have minutes under his belt. That being said, he's gonna start a game. I'm, I mean, he's. I. I. I bet you he starts tomorrow. Yeah, I think he starts tomorrow too. I mean, there's no, there's no denying his talent, and I mean, the last few games, Talavera, Munoz. I mean, they've done all right, but to me, it's left a, something to be desired in their performances. So even though Ochoa hasn't been playing, I say you throw him in there one game and and, and see how he does, because uh, like I said, there's no denying his talent. Um. He, he could be very rusty. It could be a mistake, but he could come out and just be the the Ochoa that we know. That being said, we're playing pretty much El Salvador U twenty U twenty three team tomorrow, aren't we, Rafa? Yeah, we're playing yeah. the D squad. <laughs> you know, well, it's tough. Uh, I was actually trying to uh, put the, put the pieces of puzzle together for El Salvador, and you know, I mean, there there are players out there who are over 
23 years old who will probably get the start. Uh, but when I was actually looking into their defense, you know, they might go ahead and start an 18-year-old at center back. And if you're in El Salvador, that's that's quite worrying. He's going to go up against, you know, maybe Chicharito or Oribe Peralta or whoever it is. That's a lot of pressure for somebody that, that's so young. Um, but, you know, on paper, it, it should be an easy win for Mexico. Uh, but the question is, you know, how long before people start panicking uh, <laughs> into the game, you know, when the score is 0-0 after 30 minutes and, you know, what's going to happen? Is that your answer to the podcast question we got from people? How long into the match does the Azteca turn on well, L3? <laughs> well, personally, I don't think they'll they'll turn on them. But, you know, the pressure gets to the players as well. It, you know, it, it plays a big part because they know that, you know, El Salvador is not going to bring their better, their better players uh, and that Mexico on paper is definitely the better team. Uh, you know, sometimes we, we like to think that, you know, the players don't don't have that in mind. But, but believe me, they, they know that that, you know, after a few minutes, they, something should happen. If they're not scoring, they should at least be dominating. And if they don't see that happening, you know, it gets to them. Flo, what's your answer? If Mexico doesn't score, by when do you think you're going to hear the crowd give, give something back to those players? I say if it's, if it's, if it's, my answer is if it's not, Mexico's not up by halftime and they don't score really early on in the second half, that crowd is going to turn. I wrote down minute 31. <laughs> Specifics. Well, let's just put it this way: they usually sing "Celita Lindo" minute thirty-one, right? Right around there. So right, right after that, if they don't score by then. They don't score by the time they sing "Celita Lindo." We might have. I'm not, I'm not saying the entire stadium is going to start turning on them, but I think around there you're going to start start hearing some things. Yeah, that, that would be my guess too. That would, that's just that's just how it is. That's just how it is there. Well, you know, if El Salvador win, it would just be a massive win. I mean, oh, come on, just, man! Don't even don't even bring uh, that. Just. I mean, no. I mean, there's going to be 30 for 30s on this. This is going to be, like, huge. It's going to be an ESPN Deportes 30 por 30. It's going to be... 30 por 30. Yeah. It's, it would be huge. I mean, it's not going to happen. Well, I don't think it's going to happen, but, you know, you just never know. Soccer is soccer. Football is football. It's funny because you're saying, oh, this little... It'd be a massive update. And then we have people on Twitter, oh, it's going to be 6 to 1. Chicharito's going to break the all-time scoring record with with five goals right here in this game. <laughs> Oh, that 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 is possible. That is possible. It's the crazy yeah. thing. It's Mexico. Yeah. Um, Flo, who is your starting lineup? Oof, starting lineup. Well, let's put it this way: you see, like a quote unquote, you see, like a B squad. Yeah, because I was gonna say against El Salvador, I'm not even 100 percent sure that he plays like what we would think is our best starting lineup. What do you, What do you think? What do you think, Rafa? Uh, well, you know, he's, he's actually said that that he wasn't exactly going to rotate. I think he said that today in the press conference. Uh, but I I don't believe that. I do think that he's going to come out with uh, sort of a weaker squad tomorrow. Uh, I do see guys like Raul Lopez getting a chance. Yeah, I see him starting. I also see maybe, uh, you know, I think it's Castro who I, who I have starting. Uh but it'll be interesting. Uh, just you know, what formation he comes in. We already know he carries two formations, or he's thinking of two formations. One of them is uh, a four-four-two, and one of them is more of a, uh, I guess, a four-four-one-one, or you know, a sort of variation of that, where he plays a diamond in the middle uh, with sort of a number ten right behind the main striker. Uh, 
and it'll be interesting which one he to see which one he uses tomorrow. Uh, I do think he'll he'll use more of a four four two because he, he just thinks you know. I mean, again, with all due respect, El Salvador is is the weaker team between between them and Honduras, and but you know we might see some something like Oribe Peralta and Raul Jimenez starting in front. I don't know if Ticharito gets a start for this game. Uh, also, because I do think Osorio is more of a guy who 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 really takes uh, really takes that part that fitness part of the game very seriously. Uh, I think he he's mentioned today in the in the press conference how how uh, he's taking players uh, how tired they are into consideration. Uh, you know, we know guys like Miguel Ayun are carrying a lot of games with him. Uh, he's been playing cup games. He's been playing league games. He's been playing Champions League games. You have to take that that sort of stuff in, into consideration. I mean, these guys take huge flights from from Europe to to Mexico, uh, and believe it or not, they they do tire you out. Uh, and he he has to take that that sort of stuff into consideration. Uh, so I do think that we'll see sort of a, a maybe, I guess if, if we're using letters, we'll may, we'll call it a B plus squad maybe. Yeah, eh, B plus squad. Why not? Yeah, yeah. Why not? <laughs> Yeah, but like we were saying, El Salvador is not bringing um, ten of their regulars are not coming in due to dis- disagreement with the FA over I think it's payments and treatment basically. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, an A an A El Salvador squad doesn't Mexico should beat them, you know, going forward by by more than one goal. There, as uh, Flo put it, their D squad Mexico should win going away in this, but. Yeah, and at home at at the Azteca, they need to win this, and they need to win. They need to make a statement. That's what I think. This is gonna be a statement win. Yeah, I hope. Uh, I hope Golik gets the gets the start. Yeah, me too. I, that's. I, I'm excited for Golik. That's. I'm. That's one of my guys. I'm looking forward to. Um, so yeah, so that's tomorrow. Eight central, right? Eight thirty central. Yeah, I think it's gonna be nine p.m. Eastern time. Nine p.m. All right, so plan accordingly um and uh we have honduras who they play canada tomorrow and canada is interesting but we don't we won't play canada until uh march next the next window but uh yeah honduras we play honduras at four eastern in the middle of the day on tuesday mm-hmm. and i know they do this to us last time i think every time we play honduras it's always in the middle of the day but I think this is the quote unquote. This is the A plus game. A squad. A squad's coming out here for this game. Yeah. Chicharito gets his revenge in this game. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, they're missing. Honduras is not as bad as El Salvador. They're missing tons of players, but Honduras is missing Andy Nahar, who is probably their best informed player right now, and he he has beef with the manager, and then um. MLS says Roger Espinoza is not playing due to injury. I believe he broke a tore a ligament or something in his ankle a couple months ago, so he's out and he's their D mid. Um, it'll be a tough game, but another one. Mexico should win. Mexico should win this game. Six points. Well, you know, the thing with Honduras is uh, their manager is Pinto, yeah. which we know uh, Coach Costa Rica to. And I to think he was talking final. shit last time. <laughs> well, the the thing with. He, he's a really controversial manager. He's he's a really, uh, you know, he's out there. Yeah. And play, some players don't like that. I know, 
I mean, you don't even have to go a lot back to to maybe 2014, right before the World Cup uh, last year. Uh, you know, there was a lot of Costa Rican media who just did not like this guy. Uh, you know, eventually, you know, they they fell in love because this guy just took him to the, to the quarterfinals of the World Cup. Uh, but even before that, you know, Costa Rican media was just, you know, just didn't like the guy. Uh, he's a very conflictive guy. So, you know, I don't know much about Andy Nahar's dispute with him, but, you know, I can see why. Uh, I actually have, have a very interesting story. I, I said this, you know, uh, back during the Olympic process. I mean, excuse me, the uh, the Olympic qualifying tournament uh, here in Carson where I'm, I don't recall. Yeah, it was Andreas versus Haiti. There we go. Uh, it was in Carson, and, and I was actually there uh, watching the game. And, and you know, Pinto is just a—you know—I I don't know how to explain. He—he's a very—he's a very weird person, but <laughs> at the same time, he's—he's he's very out there. So it, this is just a really weird story. So Haiti was just—you know—doing their usual warm-ups, and, and here comes Pinto and just stands in front of the 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 players from Haiti while they're training, and he just like stares at them, you know, mad dogs them for. <laughs> For literally ten minutes straight. I mean, I'm not kidding. I had never seen anything like that, uh, and that's just the kind of person Pinto is. Uh, but in terms of tactics, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. He he's trying to to give Honduras a, a sort of a different identity uh, of the kind we know, which is more of that physical uh, break apart the game. You know, uh, foul a lot, which you know is the kind of ugly part of the game. Uh, but it has worked for them in these past few years. But Pinto's trying to change that. They're trying to play more of a, a of a technical game. Uh, you know, he com- he compared it a lot to the Colombian national team, where uh, there's a lot of players who, who do have a, a, a quite a bit of a technical ability, uh, but at the same time they have that right mix of, of physical play. And he's trying to bring that out, out of Honduras. And you have to understand that for them, it's also a new process. Uh, the Gold Cup was a failure to them. Uh, but Pinto saw it more as a learning curve, uh, and now you know, after a few months with them, uh, they're trying to implement this. Uh, but at the same time, it's just not going to happen right away. Uh, and I think uh, Mexico fans uh, can take solace in that that you know, Honduras is still early into their process, and they can take advantage of that uh, because we know that you know, player by player, Mexico is uh, is again a bit better than than Honduras, and and they can go ahead and, and into San Pedro Sula and get those three points. Flo, are you gonna be off? Are you gonna be watch this game live? Uh, I'm not gonna be off, unfortunately, but we'll see what I can do in the office. <laughs> <laughs> I love how uh, I think this game might be on Telemundo. I love how they show the game live and then they show it again in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, again, you you said it that they do this on purpose because you know they're trying to take advantage of the heat. Uh, Let's not pretend like Mexico doesn't do this. Oh well, yeah, so. We talked about this before. How, uh, Mexico actually did this against the U.S. at the Azteca last time. Yeah, in August. Maybe I think the I game think was it... in August, and we played it like at two or three in the afternoon in Mexico City time. Yeah, and it was just terrible. Yeah, everyone does. That's why USA plays in Columbus. Oh, that's true. The U.S. does it too. They play in Columbus. The one thing about that Columbus game that bothers me is the U.S. makes it so hard for fans to get tickets to that. They make it ridiculously hard to buy tickets. It's like a lottery. I'm like, you, it's a 21,000-seat 20, uh, stadium. I don't know if you get Rafa, have you been in that stadium? No, I've not been to have Columbus. Have you been <laughs> No, I haven't. I, I've been I there. Up, it's, I grew up it's not, not too pretty. far away. I never yeah. went. 
I've been to that stadium multiple times, and it's it's like it was like the first soccer specific stadium in America, and it's just imagine. I know Rafa, you've been to uh, L.A. L.A. Yeah. It's kind of like that if you take away anything nice. <laughs> it's like pure. It looks. It's almost like a really nice high school football stadium. There's bleachers. It's like it's only seats twenty one thousand, but U.S. makes it so hard to buy tickets. That's why there's not that much Mexican fans there. So at least Mexico says, "Hey, you want to fly to Mexico City? You can come watch the game. We have a hundred and hundred and one thousand seats for you guys." Need a TCK road trip. I need to. I need to. I need to go to. I need to go see uh, Stadio Azteca. Need to see a game there. Need to see my Club America. We'll go, and then we'll go to Cedar Point afterwards. <laughs> uh, all right, so for the A squad, if you if you think um, he's going to start... Well, he said he has two different formations that he's going to play, right? One in each game? Or did he just... Ins- he didn't say that, or did he did he say that, or did he just insinuate Well, he didn't, he didn't say that explicitly, but, you know, it's what most media is saying, what, what they've been looking at in training... Uh, you know that he's been working these two formations, uh, and that's what we should expect. I, I don't think he he's going to tweak much, um, but yeah, that those are the two formations we we shall see. Um, I think it's a four four two and that diamond formation with again. I I don't know exactly what to call it. I guess it's a four five one or a four four one one something like that. You know, if you're a tactics nerd, yeah. I don't know. I failed you miserably now. <laughs> Well, let's say he plays that four four one, that the four four one one or that four five one. Who are the two guys closest to the goal? Well, what he said was uh, what people are saying, or you know, what media is present at the trainings is saying uh, that they've worked the only formation or combination he's worked uh, for that formation is Gulli Peña and Chicharito Hernandez up front. So that would be Gulli Peña playing sort of a number ten role uh, with Chicharito right in front. Or in front of him, I should say. Uh, so it would be Chiaito leading the line. Uh, that's what most people are saying. Uh, and I think that that would make sense because I, I don't see another player in the Mexico national team that has that, that sort of traits to play that number 10, uh, especially in this call-up. Uh, so, yeah, we, we should see. Uh, the thing with Guli Peña, again, he's not your... What I like to say about Guli Peña is that he's not your traditional number 10 because... You know, he's more physical. He's more box-to-box. Uh, I don't know how Juan Carlos Osorio plans on using that, uh, but it's something to keep an eye out for uh, because, again, Guli Peña is not that sort of guy where he drifts drifts off that Chicharito or whoever the striker is in front of him, you know, just sits back and tries to, to make something happen while, while just standing still, which is what your traditional number 10 does. Uh, I mean, if you take a look at a guy like Edwin Cardona uh, at Monterrey, which is a perfect example of a guy who just, you know, plays that number 10 role, sort of just drifts to the middle and just, you know, is static. He's not a guy who runs, you know, back and forth like Guli Peña does. Uh, so, again, that's something to keep an eye out for, uh, see how, how if, if they actually do come out with that number 10, uh, how Guli Peña responds to that. Flo, do you think Mexico should uh, try? I guess they're pretty much flooding the midfield there. Do you think they should be more attacking, or is it okay to play a little, a little deeper since they're away at Honduras match day two? Um, that's what it seems like to me. It seems like they're pretty much playing a four-five-one, with the benefit that Gullit runs forever, so he'll go up and attack. But if need be, he will come back, track back. That's what it seems like they're playing. They're flooding the midfield. 
Yeah, I mean, it just seems like the way teams play against us that we need to be more attacking. It seems like teams always try to sit back, try to counter, you know, try to do all that. So I just feel like we need to be aggressive. We need to play an attacking formation against, um, you know, the CONCACAF teams. You know, if we're playing other teams, um, you know, maybe sitting back, you know, trying to control the midfield, trying to crowd the midfield works a little better. But against teams like El Salvador and Honduras, I feel like we should be trying to attack more. I, I, I agree, but I, I mean, I can see this 4-5 or five working out in this game if they play it. Just because Gullit runs for days, I'm really excited about him. I mean, let's talk about him real quick. I remember 2013, he had Bundesliga clubs after him. I kept hearing Borussia Dortmund was kind of looking to make an offer in 2013, and he was he was on all cylinders in 2013. I'm not really sure what happened these last 18 months, but uh, he's he was the man in 2013. Yeah, yeah. I love me some Gullit. I love me some box-to-box midfielders, so I mean, I've always cheered for him. Um, I'm so happy that he's back in this form close to his 2013 form, and um, I'm excited to see what he does. Rafa, you think he's got do you think he's got it to go to Europe if he wants? He has it. Um, You know, I remember what Mauro Boselli said once, uh, it might have been after they won that that second title with Matosas, he said something like uh, you know, I've played in Europe, and this guy can easily, you know, play in Italy or somewhere like that uh, because he, he just has the right mix of talent. Uh, he has the right technical skill, and, you know, he's a very physical guy, something most Mexican field, Mexican midfielders are, aren't really big on. Uh, you know, Gui covers it. He, he's a guy who can go toe-to-toe physically with, with anybody, uh, and at the same time, he just has that craftiness and that uh, that technical skill that that you see from from, you know, uh, slicker guys like like Eric Gutierrez, who, who you know, I guess are kind of box to box, or kind of just uh, you know midfielders, very similar to Gulli. Um and, and you know that sort of plays an advantage to to him. Uh, I'm not surprised that back then he had he had um, teams looking at him like like Borussia Dortmund, like you mentioned, uh, because he looks like a he's like a perfect fit for some team in Europe. Um, you know, uh, for me, he's always been. Again, I echo Mauro Bocelli's words. I think he would be perfect somewhere like in the Serie A. Yeah, like like Roma has like midfielders that remind me of like Golit. Um and a lot of Serie A teams have have uh, those type of midfielders. I think Serie A would be a great fit for me. Yeah, I love me some Golit. I love that hair flowing. Man, <laughs> so jealous. But yeah, I mean, people forget he. Not that it was, a, you know, like we were facing some daunting task against New Zealand, but he was the man in that playoff. He had three assists and one goal in those two games. Not that many people stayed up to watch that game in New Zealand because I think kickoff was like 1 a.m. <laughs> Didn't Barta score like eight goals in that game? Yeah, he had, he had a lot of goals. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but Gullit, even, you know, even at the very end, but it was still 2013, he had three assists, one goal, and he was. That was when rumors were hot, right then. You know that that 2014 January transfer window. I thought he was going to go somewhere. I thought he was going to go Bundesliga or Serie A, like you guys are saying. But it didn't happen. And then he just. I think that's what happens when players, when they're on the cusp of moving, and they don't move. They just like stay stagnant. They don't 
get any better, get any worse. They're just like, all right, well, I'm back, back in this team, you know. Whereas if they go to Europe, it's like they start back at the bottom of the barrel. But like I know other people said it before, sometimes the Mexican players get too comfortable. Yeah, they make good money, and that's the thing. Like I, I can never fault someone for you know, for keep keeping a high paying job, you know. That's why when people were giving uh, Giovanni dos Santos, like they're giving him stick. I'm like, he's making five, six million dollars. He's making at least two to three times more than what he would be making in Europe. I can't get mad at him for taking that contract. But I know other people. And just to touch on uh, what Rafa was saying earlier on Gio, I don't think he, quote-unquote, deserves to be there in this call-up. But at the same time, I don't think just the fact that he's playing in MLS should cut him off from the Mexico national team. Definitely a lot. Um, well, uh, if people don't know me, I actually live in L.A., so I get to go. Well, I got to, to watch Giovanni a lot. Uh, ever since he arrived to LA, the whole process from him arriving all the way to, uh, you know, getting eliminated, you know, what was it, two weeks ago or so? Yeah. But, uh, but you know, watching Giovanni Santos on the field uh, in comparison to everybody else on the field, you can tell he's special. You can tell that uh, in comparison of whatever, whatever other players there are on the field, he's just completely better than them. He has the basics down. He's better technically. He's better tactically. You can see it on the field. I mean, it, it doesn't take a genius to you know just go watch the game on the field and know that Giovanni Santos is more talented than than everybody else around him. I mean, for the exception of maybe somebody like Robbie Keane, which I think is just a phenomenal player. I think if Robbie Keane would be playing in Puebla right now, he'd still score ten goals. <laughs> but uh, uh, back to Giovanni. Uh, Giovanni, I think you can see it on the field. Uh, I don't blame him either. I, you know, he's getting money. Uh, with Giovanni, it, it's a very complicated situation because he's a guy that's been traveling around. He's he's he had trouble finding a place to call home. You know, LA came calling, and you know you just can't say no to it. You know, they're offering he's been in you Europe money. since he was twelve. Yeah, he, he, they offered him the money. Uh, they told him, you know what, you have a home here. And he's gonna be the man. He's and not yeah. gonna be, you know, twelfth man off the bench at VRL. Exactly. So, and, and you can't say no to that, uh, but. What I say about Giovanni not not being in the Mexico national team is because, you know, if you come to to the Galaxy and you say you're going to win titles, you better back that up. Uh, if you don't win it, you know, it, it really it, it takes a hit on you uh, because we are talking about a league that is not up there. Uh, they're not as good as the league I make is as much as, you know, people might say uh, I'm a guy who watches both leagues. Uh, and personally, I, I still think that MLS has a lot to go to actually reach that level of the guy makeys. Uh, but, you know, again, if you say that you come to Galaxy to win titles and, and you fail, uh, you know, it has to have some sort of effect on you, especially if you're trying to make the national team. Uh, and, you know, that's not saying that the door is closed on Giovanni Santos. I think he'll, he'll, he's going to have plenty of opportunities going in the future. Uh, and, and I hope that next season uh, he improves and, and, you know, he's a, he's a greater part of LA Galaxy's attack. Uh, and you know he gets to show what, what he's made of. I mean, you see a guy who's very similar to Giovanni and Jovinko, who's just dominating the league. Uh, I know Toronto FC also was knocked out, but you see a player like that, and you see why can't Giovanni do that? And uh, Jovinko get he got called up to Italy. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah, and, and you see it. Uh, and you know, uh, if Giovanni can improve uh, along with Galaxy, uh, you know the door is always open for him. 
And I will say this, he came in August, so it's not like he had a full season yeah, like Jovinko did. Exactly. So exactly. That always plays a part. I feel like those, you know, especially in MLS, those transfer, mid-season transfers, just don't generally work in MLS. Yeah, they don't. Because like you were saying earlier, you were talking about the flights that these guys come in from uh, from Europe to come represent Mexico. Well, those flights happen all the time in MLS. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine you're in Vancouver and you have to fly all the way to New York for a midweek game, and then you got to fly back to Vancouver for the game on Saturday. It's like like you're saying, it, it takes a toll on these guys. But like Gio, you think Flo twenty sixteen? You think Gio's gonna make return to the Mexican squad? Without a doubt. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't see why not. He, I mean, maybe I'm a little biased because I'm you know I, I feel like I've watched him grow grow up you know, but he'll be back. I don't know. It's gonna be tricky though because the next call up is not until December. It's not until end of March, the next FIFA window. But Mexico has been known to play a friendly in uh, January, and that's usually made up of Liga MX players. Yeah, yeah. But it was in San Antonio. Yeah, like last year on that terrible, terrible field in San Antonio. Ugh. Should have hey, stopped hey. the game, Flo. Should have ran out of the field, <laughs> stopped the game. Yeah, I mean we played a. Uh... We played Korea and we played USA back-to-back years. In both years, the field was terrible, unfortunately. Yeah. So, no more games in San Antonio, man. You're going to you're gonna have to drive to, to Dallas if you want to see Mexico play. Or Houston. Oh, yeah. No, not Houston, man. Announced, well, in Houston, they're finally replacing that field later this year. But, um, yeah, that field's terrible, too, in Houston. Reliance Stadium? It's bad. But, uh, yeah, so... USA usually has a January games, so maybe we'll play the USA. But I'm thinking if Gio might get called into those because the Galaxy won't be he won't be playing. So I think there's a good chance he gets called up to the to the Moleto game in Enero. Well, Concacaf Champions League is February. It's going to start too February, and Galaxy's still in it. So yeah. uh, you know, Giovanni should should go back to training in January or something yeah. like that. I mean, I wonder if he's going to go anywhere to. Uh, train this off season not officially not like on loan but I don't know maybe he'll drive down to Tijuana train with the <laughs> I mean how far is that from LA well you know Miguel Herrera's gonna be in Tijuana exactly. he has a really good relationship with him oh we know we saw the tweets yeah we saw the <laughs> tweets yeah you never know yeah alright well that's it for those two games but just to recap uh and when we were trying to qualify for the 2014 World Cup in the third round of qualifying, which is what we're in now, Mexico played six games. They won all six. They had a goal difference of plus 13. So, and they played El Salvador too. So I'm thinking Mexico should at least win four, five games out of these six and qual and you know easily qualify for the hex. I don't see any hiccups. Maybe I'm just being optimistic. I'll be. I'll play devil's advocate and say there are going to be hiccups. I do see some tough away games, especially to Canada and Honduras. Uh, no, I think on paper nobody's going to say it secretly. But if Mexico get four points out of these next two games, uh, I think nobody will complain in terms of anybody in the Mexico camp. Obviously, you know that's not what they're going to say publicly. But you know, four points don't don't sound bad. Uh, and you know, there's also that tough away game to Canada, and they're going to be up for it. Uh, I think Canada has improved massively. Uh, you know, we don't 
we don't really see it, but you know they have a process that's been going on for a while now, uh, and they think that they have they have a really good chance at, at doing something this uh, in this World Cup qualifying group. Uh, they know that it's tough because they have Honduras and El Salvador, uh, but they're, you know they're going to be up for it, especially if they get a good results against Honduras and, and El Salvador. Um, that game, I think it's going to be in Vancouver. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that, but they usually think, play at Toronto. I think it's going to be at the Olympic Stadium in Vancouver because they're trying to make a big deal of this game against Mexico, and you know that's one game where where I do think it it's going to be tough for Mexico uh, because they're going to feel the pressure on that one. I do believe that Mexico is just not going to you know go walking and win all six games. I mean, hopefully I'm wrong, but you know I do see some hiccups. So. I'm trying to see if we play away at Canada, but I know we I know we do play them the 26th of March. I think it might be the game in Vancouver for that one. I'm not sure, but well, I do know this. I think the game against um, <clears throat> on the game on Tuesday is going to be very indicative of how Mexico handles when teams bunker down against them. Because, like you're saying, Mexico is the favorite in the group. They're they're by far the favorite. So that so Honduras and Canada are going to do everything they can to get to pick up one point against Mexico. What that means playing ten men behind the ball, they'll do it because they know all they have to do is just be second place in the group to advance to the hex. So I think the second game, you know, this game in Honduras is going to tell a lot how Mexico deals with these teams, and you know, pretty much all of these teams do this against Mexico. Mm-hmm. They they play they, you know they play nine guys in the back. They hope to get a lucky a lucky break here or there, but you know they're perfectly fine with the draw. And like we were saying earlier, we were, we were joking about about the crowd turning against Mexico, but it happens all the time. <laughs> well, you know, I have a question for you guys. Uh, you know, forgetting that Juan Carlos Osorio is in charge, uh, if Miguel and I were still in, were still coach of Mexico, and. You know, hypothetically, you know, whatever he did, you know, he never punched Martinoli or whatever. And, oh, man. You know, he was still manager. Uh, would we be talking about this? Because I know it would be Miguel's first experience in World Cup qualifiers. You know, New Zealand doesn't really count because, you know, it was New Zealand. Uh, but, you know, would we would we be talking about these same, these same scenarios, these same things with Miguel as well? Or do you think we'd feel more prepared because, you know, Miguel you know, lived through a World Cup live through a gold cup and whatever the case may be a CONCACAF victory maybe with Miguel Herrera or whatever the case may be do you think you know we'd be talking about these same things about you know Miguel going up against Central American teams and struggling or would we say you know what we'd be all okay with that because we already won a gold cup and blah 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 no I think we still would be talking about it because in the world cup you're not facing the CONCACAF teams that are just sitting back trying to defend, trying to get that one point. Um, and also in the friendlies and in the Gold Cup, when we played, you know, these CONCACAF teams, it was a struggle. So, and with the struggles that we had, you know, leading up to the World Cup with the, with the CONCACAF teams, I think we would still be talking about it. I think we may feel a little bit better just because we kind of know, we would know what to expect. We would know what's going on with the formations, the players and everything. Uh, so we might feel a little better, but I think we'd definitely still be talking about the, the same things. You just just never know with these CONCACAF teams because, like Raul said, they always want to sit back. They always want to counter, and they're happy with that one point. You know, if they, if they 
if they go out get out of there with a draw, it, it's basically a win to them. I would agree. I'd say we talk about the same thing because Piojo coached the, in the competitions that Piojo coached for Mexico. It was always games that teams wanted to win. In fact, like I'm not like for instance the World Cup, you don't really play for a tie. You know, all the teams there are pretty much generally the same, so they're not going to bunker play ten men in the back. Cause teams will want teams want to win in the World Cup. Same thing with the Gold Cup, you need to win to advance. Whereas the World Cup qualifying and Concacaf is a different animal, just because, hey, I'll take this tie. I'll let you get eighty percent of the possession. I'll take this, you know, the one point and move on to my next to my next thing. So I think it's a different animal, and I think that's where Chepel. Chepel struggled because he was in this mindset of, hey, this is the plan. Why isn't it working? Well, let's just keep doing it. It's bound to work. Where, you know, when, once we, like I said, that third round last time, last qualifying, we went six, you know, we won six games. We won plus 13. So we won we won the average game by two goals. But once we got to the fourth round, when it's only six teams and the quality isn't as, you know, as, you know, from one to, I think it's, yeah, one through six, it's not, like people saying, we're not the giants of CONCACAF, so the talent is not as crazy as Mexico versus El Salvador is going to be in this round. I think he struggled with finding ideas to break down these teams, and I, I think we would still be concerned with Bioho because he has he hasn't played in an, 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 an animal like this, you know. So, all right, do you think we we would be like, oh, we'd be fine with Bioho if uh, he was still here, Rafa? I I disagree with both of you. I think. Uh, we'd feel more comfortable with Miguel in charge. And I'll say this, because Miguel was in charge of Club America. And I think a lot of scenarios he faced under Club America are very similar to what Mexico goes up to uh, against these teams in World Cup qualifying. Like you said, teams that are willing to sit back for 80 minutes and play for the 0-0 or play for the draw, willing to drop two points against Mexico because it is Mexico they're playing. Uh, I do disagree with you guys in that sense. Uh, and I'll tell you one thing as to why Chepo failed in the hexagonal. Because from the start, Chepo was always a defensive-minded manager. Uh, when he came to Mexico, he was forced to just change completely. He was forced to, you know, uh, with, when he won the, the title with Toluca, uh, you know, if you recall, it was between him and Victor Manuel Bucetich, and it was Chepo who took the job. Uh, and at the time when he won that title with Toluca, he was using more of a five-at-the-back system, which was a very defensive-minded five-at-the-back and that's how he won the title with Cruz Azul, with Toluca, excuse me, with Cruz Azul. <laughs> <laughs> Cruz Azul with Toluca. The title, come on. <laughs> uh, uh, with Miguel Herrera, um, no, excuse me, when Chepo de Torre eventually took over Mexico, uh, he had to completely change and, you know, implement a 4 4 uh, He basically gave the reins to, you know, a lot of veteran players like Gerardo Torrao, like Rafa Marquez, and that worked for a while. But eventually, he just couldn't find a way. Uh, as opposed to Miguel Herrera, uh, you know, he had more of a five-at-the-back system, but it was it was a very varied system where, you know, it wasn't very attack-minded, but it wasn't very defensive-minded. He didn't mind landing possession to the opponent uh, as long as, you know, Mexico got a chance to, to hit in the counter and stuff like that. And I think that would work perfectly in World Cup qualifying. Uh, you know, I've had this discussion with other people, and they tell me the same thing, that, you know, uh, if Miguel Herrera would still be in charge, we would see how, you know, he might flourish in these sort of situations because he's used to it with that, with that same stuff at America. Uh, I mean, people don't remember, but he was very criticized at America at some points because there was times where America was just not dominating opponents. They were just not beating opponents at, at that time. 
because Miguel was very willing to go ahead and, you know, send his players back and lend possession to the opponent. And, and, you know, guess what? He ended up winning the title with America and eventually take over the Mexico national team. That's why I think Miguel would have been fine. I, I'm sort of with those people that say, you know, maybe we were a little too harsh on Miguel. Yeah, I mean, I can see it both ways, you know. I, I, just for the fact that he never got to do it, so I guess we'll, well, maybe we will know in a little bit. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> maybe we'll just never know. I just know that every single time you talk, any any manager in Concacaf talks about, they always they always say it's a different animal in Concacaf trying to qualify. It's just, it's just, it, you can't predict it. You know, you can't predict it. But I can see your point, and I can also see our point where we say, hey, it doesn't really matter because he hasn't had to do it. But I see your point where with Club America, they are the giants in, uh, in uh, League MX, so to speak. No offense, guys. But um, <laughs> but the one thing he has going for Club America is just the sheer money and talent that resources he had over, over what, 14 out of the other teams in League MX? Maybe there's only maybe like four, four or five teams that can compete with uh, Club America financially in League MX. Maybe Tigres is the only one that comes close. Yeah. So, uh, interesting question. I mean, well, real quick, how do you think he's going to do at uh, Cholos? Uh, I think it's perfect. Uh, you know, I wrote about this. I think it's, it, you know, it's a perfect fit for me. Uh, I think it's exactly what the club is looking for. Uh, it's the right step for me there. I think he's going to do quite well there. They're going to give him time and. This is where we're going to see that Miguel is, is a good manager. That, you know, his him taking over Mexico national team was no coincidence. That Miguel is actually a really good tactician, a really good manager. He's a really good, he's really nice with the players. I mean, uh, you know, if you ask any of the Mexico national team players what they think of Miguel, they'll probably just go on and tell you, you know, he's, he's an excellent person. He's an excellent coach to be under. Uh, and I think with uh, Cholos, he's going to succeed and he's going to find. Uh, you know, I don't see him winning a league title per se, but I do think that they'll do well. Flo, do you want Piojo to coach uh, Chivas next after they fire Almeida in February? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> it could happen. You never know. I just loved how he he just said, "Oh, I'm, he's open to anything." Oh, I'll, uh, coach the U.S. Men's National Team. Yeah, I can see myself doing that. I'm like, come on, Piojo. <laughs> But I heard from uh, Eric Gomez that uh, he's making he's going to be one of the highest paid Liga MX managers at Cholos. As he should be. I, I'm I'm a big Miguel guy. I'm sorry, but you're going to go check out a couple games. Absolutely, uh, I'm planning to. That that'd be awesome. How far is that drive for you? It's what three four hours. It's nah, not it's not bad. bad at all. It's not too bad. No, not at all. It's a, it's quite a nice contrast after watching MLS. Uh, to watching Liga Mekis. Uh, How's that? I, have you been to Cholo Stadium, Caliente Stadium? Yeah, I've been there a couple of times. The, have you been on the field? Yeah, uh, I've been. Well, not literally on the field, but you know. How's it's that surface? Quite, it's you mean the turf? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you you can you can tell you, you can see it. Um, I I don't know. I never played there, so <laughs> I wouldn't you know have a personal opinion on it. Um, but you know, it, it is a big deal when it's uh, a visiting team actually going to the Estadio Caliente. 
but when it comes to you know being there as a fan or you know being there as press, it's a wonderful stadium. Uh, you know the the stadium is very personal, so you know anywhere on, on, in the stadium you feel like you're right next to the field. Uh, it's a beautiful stadium. They're you know they're improving it every few every few few months. I would say, uh, you know every time you go, there's something new to the stadium. Uh, if you if you definitely live in California and you know, you you have a chance to actually go out there, you should because it's it's an it's an amazing experience. I definitely recommend it. My favorite thing about the Cholos is they just you probably know because you cover the Galaxy that they pretty much go in and just take all the Galaxy Academy players they want. Yep, it's true. <laughs> yeah. And you know, just to reiterate a little on Giovanni Los Santos, one thing that. Uh, you know that is wonderful about Galaxy and bringing them in is that you know we do have a huge Mexican American population. Oh yeah, I can see that. I can see them not, using him using him to recruit a couple homegrowns. Yeah, not not just well, not just Mexican American population. You know, we have Salvadorian Americans. We have you know a huge Hispanic market here in LA, uh, and you know the impact that these youngsters are going to get from seeing Giovanni Los Santos in the training about. Uh, you know, it is you know it doesn't have a price because a lot of these kids like us grew up watching Giovanni Santos. Uh, you know, go from a 17 year old who nobody knew to, you know, scoring a World Cup or you know stuff like that. Uh, they look up to this guy and they see him in the training field. It, it's like a dream come true. Uh, you see it when you go to trainings. It, you know, it's awesome. Uh, and you know, there there's going to be a lot of players, young Mexican players coming up. From the galaxy, that that will learn a lot from Giovanni Santos. I'm excited. I, I I'm a I, fire fan, season ticket holder. I don't know about next year, but I was a little sad when they signed him and he already came to, a galaxy already came to Chicago, so I didn't get a chance to see him. But I'm looking forward to seeing him, out there. Um, all right, yeah. So good podcast so far. So now let's uh, dive into these questions from submitted from uh, fans. All right. We'll leave that favorite album for the end. That's the that's gonna be the best one here. But um, favorite Liga MX jersey not from your team. Flo, I think I know yours. Go ahead. What, what's your favorite jersey? That's not uh, Chivas. My favorite jersey, um, is one the the team that is not even in it right now. But uh, the Leones Negros. Uh, I love their jerseys. I love their logo with the um, the line. Um, the colors, the all the the, the different striped colors. I, I always love their jersey. When they're the jersey they had a few years ago when they're in the league, I almost bought it just to have it, just because I always love their jerseys. Uh, but if we're gonna go with someone that's in there right now, I'd probably say Pumas. And that's my answer, Pumas. I love those Pumas kits. They look so clean. And um, Rafa, I know you're a Pumas fan, correct? Yeah. Yeah, Who's their sponsor? Definitely. Is there they, they got uh, Banco Max or something or uh, Banamex? I think it is. Yeah, and it, like their logo, like, you don't even really see it on their jerseys. Yeah, so unfortunately, I can't pick my own team. So <laughs> uh, that's that's a tough one. Uh, you know, I've told you a story, right? That you know, when I was I was actually at the World Cup and and I was wearing my Pumas jersey, and it, it was the semifinal between Argentina and the Netherlands, uh, and these people from from uh, from Porto Alegre actually came up to me and told me, you know, we love your, your jersey, you know, you know how rare it is to find a Pumas jersey here in Brazil. You know, they went on, they're like, Oh, you know, we use that jersey in Ultimate Team and FIFA. You know, <laughs> exactly. we just we just love that jersey. Like, can can we change it? And I thought it was, it was just wonderful because 
you know, as a Pumas fan, that you get recognized for for wearing a Pumas jersey. So yeah, so, you, you told know, me that story, but did you did you exchange jerseys? Unfortunately, I didn't. I told him, you know what, it's you know this jersey is is mine. I think it was. Uh, it might have been the jersey they they won their last title in. Uh, uh, so I was like, no, <laughs> you know, I love your I love your Crusado jersey, but you know, I'm good. I'm sorry <laughs> about that. Uh, but no, in terms of my answer, it would have to be, you know, it would have to be that Querétaro jersey that that they used. You know, what was it two weeks ago or so? I'm not sure you guys got the chance to see it. Uh, oh, it was just the a special edition. Yeah, the special edition one. Uh, I mean, that was just a beautiful jersey. Uh, that was nice. Was, I did like that jersey. It was elegant. It was bold. You know, it was just you know what you like to see in a team. Uh, it, it was beautiful. Uh, I know it's it's only it was only limited edition and rather expensive. I'm not sure if you can if you can get it right now, uh, but you know that that was a beautiful jersey. I, I don't know what other team I, I choose to be honest. Uh, you know, I guess that would be my answer because I just really. Don't think there's anything more beautiful than Pumas jersey. Wow. <laughs> I was gonna say um, every single year in, in Ultimate Team, the Pumas jerseys, the Pumas kits are one of the most expensive kits to buy. Like I, I know sometimes I would I would just buy them and just resell them to make coins on Ultimate Team <laughs> because you have people like in Europe, like everywhere, everybody wants to buy the Pumas kits and wear them. It's so clean, man. It's just nice. <laughs> Rafa's probably blushing right now, but it's just yeah. a nice kit. Yeah, I, actually, uh, I'm looking at my closet right now, and like the first shirt that's sticking out is a Pumas jersey. That's what I'm looking at right now. Now, my dad, my dad, just, he's a he's a Pumas fan. I don't know, I don't know how I, I turn out to be a Club America fan, but he always had those those, those Pumas kits. And I was just like, man, that's a nice nice kit, dad. Nice kit. Never <laughs> let me use it though. He's like, nah, man, these are mine. But it's just they're just nice. And then once they came out this year. I think they got the their traditional like gold and navy, but they got the white one, the white and like navy. Is it? Yeah, that's a nice kit. And then of course, my I love the goalie kit they have. Yeah, the Horde Complex. Yeah, one. Oh, man, I might need to go buy one. I might need to. I might that might be my next purchase. We'll see. Man, I love kits. All right, well, goalies. Um, next question we got: Who's the best youth goalkeeper for L three? I have no idea on this one. Pretty much, I think it comes down to, I mean, youth. It's a goalie, so let's just say like twenty-five and under. It doesn't have to be, you know, mm-hmm. like a youth. youth. Um, I mean, Gudino. I, I, people can say, oh, he's not playing first division, but he is. I, I've and I follow Porto closely, and they love him there. He's doing well in their B team. So if I have to pick, it's going to be him. But. Jesse Gonzalez is tearing it up, and uh, Donio is doing well too. Yeah, there's there's quite a bit of options out there with Jesse Gonzalez now stepping up for FC Dallas. Um, you know, one thing about about Godinho is, I think physically he's one of the better ones because you like to have a guy with you know that he's so tall. Yeah, with that length and you know in the arm wingspan, I guess you would say. Not your average Mexican. Yep, not your average Mexican. He's, you know. The best is when they show him next to an average Mexican, Tecatito, and he's like a foot and a half taller than him. You know, he has, he sort of has that physique of um, Neuer. Yep, yep. And, you know, that's scary because, you know, that's when you know that this kid has potential just because, you know, he's really tall and, you know, he has a uh, physical ability, you know, with a world-class goalkeeper. Yeah, Courtois. Courtois is the same thing. Courtois, yeah, Courtois, exactly. Uh, but right now, 
I would say Antonio Rodriguez is is a tad better than both Jesse Gonzalez and Gudinho. But, you know, he has a, a few years in it under him, so, yeah. you know, that helps out as well. Uh, but, you know, he's just improved massively under Matias Almeida. Uh, even before that with Chepola Torre, uh, you know, I, I I was one of those people who was very critical when, when he took over Luis Michel. Uh, I think it might have been before Chepo yep. because he's he was just not very good. Uh, he was timid when it came to coming out for crosses. You know, he got he, he got easily beat with long shots. It was just something that was just constantly one of his big problems where, you know, if somebody shot from long range, it was just an automatic goal. But, you know, the... He's just come around. He's improved massively everywhere. Uh, not only that, he's learning how to play with the ball on his feet, uh, which nowadays is very important if you're a modern-day goalkeeper. Yep. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm one of those fans right now for Antonio Rodriguez where I think he's he has a future. I I, I'm, I think he's just massive. He's massively improved. He, he's just doing wonderful. And I think he's just a tad better than Gudino at the moment. Yeah. And like you said, he's got a couple of years on him too. Yeah. Yeah, we're doing under 25, I have to go with Tonio too. I mean, just because I, you know, Gudinho being in Porto playing on the B team, don't really hear too much, see too much about him. I see Tonio, I see the improvement he's made. Um, so I'd probably go with him as well. How old is uh, Lahoud? Is that how you say his name? Yeah. Um, maybe 21 or 22. Yeah, he's, he's getting some playing time. He's doing well too. Yeah. So yeah, Mexican goalies, we got them. We got yeah, that, that's something Always. Mexico cannot complain about. Yeah. Goalkeepers. Well, Always like every have. goalie we have right now on the on the A squad, I guess Memo's over thirty. Munoz is thirty five. Um, Corona's hurt, but he's like thirty five as well, isn't he? Yeah. And then um, Talavera is thirty two, I believe. So I mean, I know goalies last for a while, but yeah, this is what I've been saying for the last year and a half it's one thing that Klinsman always tries to do he'll bring in his usual two or three goalies but he'll always bring in one young keeper and just let him train with the team I mean he's not going to play I wish Mexico did that like yeah like right like say this camp for instance it's a FIFA date so Chivas doesn't have any official games so it's like just call up Tonio let him get some training time you know I'll say one thing about goalkeepers uh, you look at a guy like Neuer which I mean, depending on what you think, he's arguably one of at least top three goalkeepers in the world. Uh, this guy got a chance at a very young age. It wasn't, you know, he was an understudy to, you know, Lehman and, and Khan, but, you know, afterwards it was just Neuer all along. And he's only 29 at the moment. Uh, but, you know, he, you know, at 25, he was, you know, already in the top of things of actually being a starter with Germany. And I think if he hadn't gotten the chance at such a young age, he wouldn't be the goalkeeper he is now. Uh, and I think that's where somebody has to give these kids a chance. Uh, because one thing about Neuer, if it weren't for his confidence, his aggressiveness, he wouldn't be the goalkeeper he is today. And that's because you know he was given a chance at such a young age. Sometimes you fall into, especially when it comes to Mexican players, you, come, uh, you reach this moment of confidence where you're like, uh, you know, you're comfortable where you are. You know, you know you're good, but you know it's not like you're aiming for the stars. Yeah, because you you're fine where you are, uh, and that might that can happen to goalkeepers too. I mean, look at Guillermo Ochoa. I mean, I'm not saying he's, uh, you know, a bad goalkeeper, uh, but you know, maybe 
if he was given I a chance. I don't say that age. about him because he left Club America and went to Ajaccio, some freaking team in the Corsican Islands of France. So I will say I will stick up for him and say that he had some balls and left because he yeah, was but... the, he was the legend at Club America, and he's like, he, granted. It's not like Ajaccio paid all his salary. We found out Televisa paid for part of his salary, but he's still playing in some random country on some low-level team in League One, you know? But but let's let's go back before all of that when Guillermo Chol was barely, you know, 19 years old yeah. and, you know, becoming the star keeper that he was. Uh, he wasn't given a chance. He wasn't given a chance back then. Uh, let's remember that, uh, you know, Osvaldo Sanchez was there. You know, there was no way that, you know, he was going to, Take Osvaldo Sanchez out of, his, out of that goalkeeping spot. Then afterwards, you know who got a chance? Conejo oh, Perez. I don't even want to talk about the 2010 World Cup. Oh my God. Would we be talking about a different reality if Guillermo Chol was starting that World Cup? Maybe he would have made the, a move to Europe a lot earlier. And you know, well, I mean, he did. Yeah, I mean, he made the move to Europe after that World Cup. You know, I mean, yeah, I know what you mean. Though. It's I, a big show. I know. I know. Yeah. I know. yeah, I just think that one of these keepers deserves a chance. Well, I'm glad that. I was I was initially surprised that Porto bought Gudinho, not because they weren't impressed by him, but I honestly thought Vergara knows that they like him after that loan. He's gonna say, "Hey, give me ten million dollars for this, you know, twenty-year-old goalie." But I'm sure he got part of. I mean, knowing Porto, Chivas probably own a decent portion of uh, Gudinho's rights in, in case, not in case, but when Porto sells him. Definitely. So, but yeah. Flo, you're a Chelsea fan, so you know this, but Courtois, he got a chance to start when he was like 19 years old for Atletico Madrid. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. When he was talking about Neuer, I was going to say Courtois, he's been starting since a young age as well. He was in the in the Belgian League. He was starting in the Belgian League at a young age. Then he went to Chelsea and he got that loan to Atletico. I mean, he's been he's been starting since... He was like 18. First, yeah, he's, he's been starting for like first team, whether it be in Belgium League or whatever, since he was like 18, 17, something like that. He's been in the Champions League for the last like four, three, three years, three, four years, yeah. you know? I mean, it's just not him. Look at Buffon as well. He yeah. debuted at a young age, and ever since, he's been that Same goalkeeper. Casillas yeah. as well. Casillas, yeah, Casillas as well. Yeah. All right, Liga Max. Um, let's see a question we got. Who are your favorite Liga MX extranjeros? Flo, do you ha- do you have any? I mean, you're a Chivas fan, so can you? you yeah. don't like any I was gonna is, say is Almeida your extranjero. I was gonna say Chivas. Uh, I don't know, but I like um, what's his name? Uh, Pavon. Yeah, Pavon. The striker. Yeah. Yeah, he's. He, I like him. Um, but yeah, being a Chivas fan, <laughs> that very that very many other people I like. You know, I love love me some Marco Fabian. I love me my my Chivas players, but. If I have to go outside, I'd probably say Pavon. I was going to say, you can just pick uh, Miguel Ponce, man. He's born in Sacramento. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wasn't Conejito born in, like, uh, yeah. California? Yeah. I think it was Sacramento, I think. I'm Maybe not sure. he's Sacramento. Oh. I think him and Ponce were, like... Oh, no, Ponce is Sacramento. Yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, he's from California somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Who do you got? For me, uh, I think I said this last time, that there's three players that have been... Really impressive. I'm not sure they're my favorite, um, but they've really impressed me this season. Uh, one of them is Fidel Martinez of Pumas. Yeah, you love that guy. <laughs> well, those who know me personally know I've been very critical of him in the past, but he's just been impressive this season. He scored tonight, right? Yeah, he scored today for, for Ecuador. Uh-huh. Um, 
he's just been impressive. He's been putting up stats. He's been giving assists. He's been scoring goals. He's been doing everything. Uh, and then you like that about a player. Uh, he's putting up, you know, shots on target. He's, you know, he's sending dangerous crosses every few minutes. Uh, he's just an overall great player for Pumas this season. Uh, the other guy I mentioned was Silvio Romero of Chapas, which is some guy, a guy who, you know, is really underlooked because, you know, he plays for Chapas. Not, not many people really pay attention to him. Uh, but he's been wonderful this season for Chapas. Uh, I think Chapas is still in, in the Liga Year race. They're, they're not exactly in just yet. Uh, but if they get a positive result, I think against Pachuca it is. They're, they're playing in this next game, which is one of the big games in two weeks in Liga Amec, is if we're going to go forward uh, to that time. Uh, Chapas versus Pachuca should be a good one, and Silvio Romero has been a huge part. I think he... Uh, I don't rem- recall what club he played in. I think he played in Liga... Ligun right before he came to Chapas. I think he been... was at uh, Lanus in uh, Argentina. Yeah, Lanus. Yeah, yeah there Lanus. we go. But before that, he he played in France. Uh, and you know that's one player who I think a lot of people are not paying attention to. Uh, and the third one I'll say, which I, I think is rapidly becoming one of my favorites, it's Edwin Cardona. I think Edwin Cardona's a phenomenal player. I mean, just phenomenal. I think he's one of the best players in Liga Mekis. I'm not sure a lot of people will agree with me, uh, but he's just basically it. When you watch Monterrey, it's it's Edwin Cardona and ten other players. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I I know I, I rate Dorlan Pavon as well, but I think Edwin Cardona is just he, he's just better. Do you guys remember uh, when Monterrey was the team in Concacaf a couple years ago? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. What happened there? They fired Busitich. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, back to Edwin Cardona. Uh, if you're keeping track with the rumors that came out today, supposedly Bayern Munich have been scouting out Edwin Cardona, which seems pretty ridiculous, but you just never know. So I'm not sure if you guys heard of that rumor. No, it's the yeah. same uh, rumor that... Is it, who started this rumor? Is it the same guy who started uh, Marco Fabian to Bayern Munich? No, it's, nah, actually, coming, it's <laughs> actually coming straight from, Colum- from Colombian media saying that uh, I mean, he's but, young. But, he's only 22. Yeah, that Guardiola's a big fan of Cardona. The only issue here is that, you know, he's a bit overweight, but we can fix that. Yeah. Well, Silvio, Silvio Romero, right before he went to uh, to Chiapas, he was actually, because I follow the fire, he was actually set to sign with the fire. Like, he was really close to coming really? to MLS. Yes. He was the guy they wanted. They were going to pay the transfer fee and bring him over. But... <sighs> Fire ownership. I don't know. Maybe they want to pony up the money, but yeah, he he was supposed to come to the fire. He was really linked to, uh, to the team right before he went to Chiapas. Interesting. I didn't know that one. Oh yeah, but yeah, I, I was keeping an eye on him, wondering what happened to him. But yeah, it's no. As a fire fan, it makes me a little sad. He's tearing up Liga MX. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, yeah, that'd be cool. I mean. Le- Colombians, I mean, who was it? Uh, Jackson Martinez, he, he was from Chiapas too. Yeah, he went to Porto. Yeah, Porto tore up. Atlético Madrid now. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, uh, these Liga MX teams are getting smart about selling, flipping these players. Especially the smaller clubs. Um, let's see. Here's a question for you, Rafa. Does uh, Osorio's tendency to rotate his players, do you think that's going to pan out on the national team? I think... I think it's just talk, but what do you think? Uh, I don't think so. Um, 
I don't think he's going to rotate as much as we expect. Yeah. It's not like he's going to come out with a completely different team uh, every single game. But I, I do think that, uh, you know, it won't have any sort of effect, you know, any big effect, I'd say. Uh, obviously, he's going to change formations and there's going to be a different style to every game. But he's just that type of manager anyway, even beforehand when, you know, he was with Atletico Nacional and São Paulo. He he did he did that a lot. So uh, another thing that that you know Mexico fans should be on the lookout for is Osorio is no stranger to changing players' formations. So don't be surprised if you. I mean, it's not going to happen in these next two games. But going forward, uh, don't be surprised if you see Osorio you know switch players around. You know, if you see Miguel Ayer like, in the midfield or something like that, or you see Tecatito play as a number ten or something like that. Uh, you know, don't be surprised because that's something that Osorio was really big on with São Paulo. Um, he switched players around. You know, if there was a guy who, who most fans thought of a, as a winger, he'd sort of just start playing him as a forward <laughs> or something like that. You know, something weird like that. Osorio is very big on that, uh, and you know that stems a lot because of the influence you know he has studying up guys like Pep Guardiola. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't don't think of it because. You know, we think of Bayern Munich and Pep Guardiola as being, you know, ridiculous and an amazing team that, you know, just beat everybody. Uh, but Guardiola does this a lot with Bayern Munich. If you really look at the stat sheet every single week, uh, Guardiola just moves players around, you know, continuously. Sometimes he doesn't play with any forwards. <laughs> yeah, sometimes he has no forwards. Sometimes he doesn't even have center backs. Sometimes he has Miller playing as a number nine. Sometimes he's playing on the right wing. Sometimes he's playing on the left wing. You know, it's just a mess. Juan Carlos Osorio does that a lot, so just be on the lookout for that. Uh, but in the bigger picture, I don't think it's going to affect Mexico. I think uh, it keeps things fresh, especially, you know, we talk a lot about this, you know, how teams sit back against Mexico. Uh, I think it, it brings that element of surprise. I agree. I mean, he has them. Um, it's funny because Osorio is all about keeping players fresh, blah, blah, blah. And then we have a U.S. men's national team where everyone complains that Jurgen Klinsmann yeah. runs his players into the ground. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, all right, Flosens for you. Who do you think is not going to make it to Russia, which everyone right now assumes is just going to be on that plane to Russia? Uh, who's not going to make it to Russia? Yeah. Um, Osorio. <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's that's a good one. <laughs> Call me uh, crazy. I think he's gonna make it. I think he's gonna last the, the next three years. I don't know, man. It just seems like everybody's already hating on him, waiting for him to mess that's up. That's the Mexican media, man. They hate everybody. They're yeah. they just hate. They're haters, man. Hate, 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 hate. Yeah, but it's worked in the past. People get out of there. Yeah. As long as he doesn't see uh, Martinelli in any airplanes, we'll be good. <laughs> Can I answer this question? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Who you got? Who you got? I got Costa Rica not making it. I'll say that. I don't think Costa Rica is <laughs> going to make it. I'm just going to put it out there right now. I don't think Costa Rica is going to make it out of CONCACAF. Wow. You don't think so? No, I, I don't think so. I think that, you know, they reached their peak and it's all downhill from here. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of who they got coming up. I mean, they got Joel Campbell. He's doing good. Yeah. But... He plays for Valencia now. Who is he playing yeah. for? Villarreal. He's he Arsenal. Let's just say he's on Arsenal's team. He's well, getting... he's actually he's actually started was... these last few games. Yeah, because you guys keep getting people hurt. Yeah, because <laughs> Chamberlain or who was it? 
yeah, Walcott is injured as well, so Campbell's like, been getting... I like how uh, Walcott got hurt, they bring in Chamberlain, and then Chamberlain got hurt in the same game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty hilarious. It's funny, because uh, Joel Campbell, he got his legs when he was at Olympiacos two years ago, right? Yeah. He had that goal against Manchester United, and everyone's like, oh man, this guy might turn out to be good, and then he signed an extension with Arsenal, and now he's on the fringes. You know, it's it's very similar to Carlos Vela. I was gonna say he's getting that Carlos Vela treatment. Yeah, yeah, and Vela just never got a chance. Yeah. Eh, well, Vela went on to better things at West Brom. <laughs> Perhaps for one season, did he last one season there? Yeah, and then, well, his eventual move to to La Real was at least brought some money to Arsenal. I, mean, yeah. I guess there's that twice. You guys sold them for like what, like four million dollars, and then you had that buyback option, and then you got another twelve million dollars yeah, out of it. Something like that. Yeah. Well done, Arsene Wenger. Well done. All right. Well, last question coming in from Cesar. Always likes to throw us weird questions. I know Flo, you've been going over this like crazy. What's your best hip hop album from the nineties? Hip hop album from the nineties. All right. When the first when the question first brought up, the first thing I thought about was Marshall Matters LP. But after further research, that came out in uh, 2000. So unfortunately, it does not count. So if that doesn't count, um, I probably have to go maybe with like a "Ready to Die" by uh, Biggie. I've always loved that album. Um, to me, "Juicy" is like my favorite hip hop song ever. Uh, if not, then uh, maybe like uh, "Illmatic," and I gotta give a shout out to uh, South Park Mexican, SPM, <laughs> Hustle Town, my oh, man for life. <laughs> Rafa, who's, what's your answer? Yeah, well, he sort of said the one I wanted to say was Illmatic. Uh, you know, we can just go on for hours. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. But I think Illmatic is arguably not just one of the best hip-hop albums of the 90s, but just in general. Uh, you know, what it's done to rap music. You know, again, I can just go, yeah. you know, hours <laughs> talking about this album. I mean, just to go over the main point as to why I think... Basically, it was just a really good bridge between, you know, old school hip hop and, you know, what ended up turning into the rest of the 90s was in terms of rap and hip hop. You know, it's it sort of set that bridge. It was, you know, it set that standard where, you know, Ready to Die, like like we just mentioned before, you know, those sort of albums took that inspiration where, you know, just revolutionized hip hop, in my opinion. Uh, it, it's just a beautiful album. Uh, it, it is a masterpiece, in my opinion. Um, you know, modern day rap and hip hop wouldn't be where it is today if it weren't for Illmatic, in my opinion. So all you kids out there watching TV, you see the Hennessy commercial, you like, you think, who's that guy? Yeah, who's that guy? Yeah. Who's that guy? That's the guy who did Illmatic. <laughs> yeah, definitely. If you haven't listened to Illmatic, you should. It's it's a beautiful album. Uh, my one, because I wanted to go with the Marshmallows LP as well, but 2000, I went a little out there well maybe hopefully you guys listen to it most deaf black on both sides yeah i had it back in the day definitely him and i also had that album with him and talib yep for sure i might need to pop that in for my morning drive tomorrow good stuff (laughs) also shout out uh big pun capital punishment love it it's good man we should make a make a playlist Oh, man, I could, I could start talking for days. Big L, Tupac, Ice Cube. Man, I'll start talking for 
hours on this stuff. Flo, I know you're <laughs> off tomorrow, so make us a playlist so we can get pumped up for that game. Oh, man. See, I, I guess I'm the only... Started. I guess I'm the only West Coast guy here, so... It's true. <laughs> and so, you yeah, picked ill we're not, we're not getting a lot of love here. <laughs> DLC. You know, we can't, we can't forget Dre and... Oh, dude, who forgot about Dre? No one forgot about Dre. <laughs> <laughs> Can't forget about Ice Cube and his Coors Light commercials. Oh, man, and those movies? Oh. <laughs> so, real quick, my sister, she was watching. Uh, she's like, She was like 13 at the time, a couple years ago. She's 15 now. And she was watching one of those terrible Are We There Yet movies. And I told her, you know, this guy used to be like a musician. She's like, what? I'm like, yeah, he used to be like a gangster <laughs> rap. She's like, you mean that guy from Are We There Yet? I was like, damn. He fell yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, I was watching an interview about uh, the NWA movie, and he was talking about how he has a bunch of people come up to him these days, and they don't even know that he used to be a rapper. Yeah. And that's why he was like, man, I got to remind these people. <laughs> <laughs> Did either of you guys see that movie? I saw it twice in theaters. Good? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. All right, I'll check it out. I need to, yeah. I need to rent it. We'll see. All right, man. Anything else you guys want to add in? Well, I want to hear your your predictions for tomorrow. Three one, that's my prediction. I don't know who's scoring, but three one. I say Mexico Mexico goes up two zero. They get one goal, we get one more. We bring in Chicharito off the bench. Eighty ninth minute comes in, scores one goal, sits back down <laughs> on the bench, like back in his Manchester United days. Oh man! All right, I guess I'll go. I'll go five nothing. Whoa! Yeah, it's bold. That's bold. That's a... Yeah. Who you got? I got three zero. I think it's gonna be very similar to your situation, where it's gonna be very nervy after you know, let's say halftime, and you know, eventually Mexico score and the floodgates just open. So that's how I see it panning out. But you know. It, Again, it'll be interesting just to see what kind of style and what kind of tactics Osorio comes out with. But most of all, I hope it's an entertaining game and, you know, we're not falling asleep watching Mexico pass the ball around uh, an El Salvador team with, like, 10 players behind them all. At least 10 players, man. <laughs> 11. <laughs> it's going to be, man. I say, uh, I say Golet scores at least one goal during these next two games. Oh yeah, I can see that happening. Yeah, I so think, Flo, what's your what's your uh, prediction for the Honduras game? Um, two one, Mexico. Rafa, for Honduras? Yeah. Oof, that's a tough one. Can I say two one Mexico? Yeah, I think it's gonna be two one. I think we all. <laughs> but I think. I think Mexico scores first, and they tie it, and then some Tecatito magic breaks their bunker, and we go up 2-1. That's my prediction. Boom. Yeah, if his fitness is there. Oh, come on. Let's not even get into that. Those rumors. <laughs> Last time those rumors popped up, he had the best year of his career, so you know what? I hope it happens again. We'll see. All right, well, this has been Episode 8 of the Colorful Kid Podcast. Um, Flo, tell the fans where they can find you. Find me on Twitter at the real flow, F L O, no W. And uh, since he's not doing anything tomorrow, send him some recommendations so he can get on that uh, playlist. For sure. 
Rafa, tell the fans where they can find you. You got like eight Twitter handles. Yeah, yeah I got like 20 of them. No, but uh, the main one is uh, uh, MexicanFood.com, which is, you know, MexicanFood and com as in dot .com. Um, so, yeah, you can find most of my writing there. I also been lately i've been writing for fmf state of mind uh which is a blog run by sb nation so i've been taking over from there lately so you know i just do recaps and stuff like that uh but yeah you can definitely find me uh, just look up uh, fmf state of mind on google and you know you'll see my writing there good stuff i'm raul you can find me at underscore bones episode eight Let's see what Mexico can do tomorrow. Maybe they'll drop eight. We'll see. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening. <laughs>